0: Welcome to the podcast, Science of High-Paid, High-Performing, Happy Engineers. The show to help engineers develop all skills non-technical. My name is Aditya Gute, and I'm a speaker and a performance coach for engineers to transform them into rock stars. Because I believe there's a rock star hiding inside each one of you. And it just needs to be brought outside to uncover your full potential as an engineer.
1: We're interviewing John Klein. He is currently an engineering manager at Google. Welcome, John Klein. How are you doing today? Uh, hey, welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing great. Awesome. Let's get started. Um, tell us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and. Uh, what got you to be an engineering manager at Google? Yeah. um,
2: Yeah. So I think you kind of, you summed up kind of most of my like tech career in the bio, Um, you know, but I'm currently Google as a boy from before that and eBay before that. Prior to that, I was in uh, the air force and I actually um, was, I worked for, I was a contractor for Homeland security for a bit and, Um, I think, you know, leadership in general has just been something that I've always been attracted to. Like in college, I would, you know, sign up for opportunities to, um, you know, be a a student leader on campus. I like to help run our new student orientation program. Um, I was a leader for some different retreat programs. Um, And even I, you know, did some of that stuff even going as far back as high school. So I think that the kind of like leadership and, you know, helping facilitate teams. So just something that I've always been interested in uh, just as a person. And um, when I went into the Air Force, uh, I went in as an officer. And so they do a ton of leadership training. Um, I did ROTC, so all through college. um, I was doing, you know, training and um, things related to that. And a lot of that was focused on leadership and management and, you know, team development and that sort of thing. So I kind of had a lot of that formal training through that. Um went into the Air Force, had a little bit of an opportunity to practice it, but um, kind of in a very different context than engineering teams. Uh, I was, like, managing people who were doing a bunch of different random kind of off- general office administrative work. And um, once I got out of the Air Force and um, software for remote security, I, I had, I've always had an interest in being a software developer. And so I kind of made that transition and that's when I started working at eBay. And when the opportunity came up after our previous team lead had left, um, you know, they presented me with the opportunity to, to take over his role. Um, and that was something I was like, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I was definitely interested in that. And then from there, it just kind of picked up, you know, I think once you're um, in engineering, once you're, once you're in leadership and management, if they, if you want to keep going down that path, those opportunities, you know, are always going to um, develop. And I think, the first little bit uh, after I made that first transition was hard, but, um, you know, I think once I kind of got used to it and kind of got, you know, a good feel for how to run a software development team, um, you know, I really liked it and wanted to keep going with that. Um, and just through, you know, time, some, you know, some amounts of timing and preparation and luck, uh, you know, was able to get the job at Playprint and then, um, you know, was able to, to switch to Google earlier this year.
1: Yeah, love that. And and I knew John from um, eBay. We bought, worked uh, at eBay, and at one point of time, I just reached out to him, saying that I just want to get to know you. Um, and he was generous enough to offer his time uh, to talk with me. And uh, it was a pretty empowering conversation. Right after I left uh, your con, uh, our conversation, I felt very empowered as an engineer. Like new possibilities that, you know, I can, at that time I wanted to transition to a new technology. You, you know, John just empowered me that this is possible and everyone has a starting point. Uh, I was kind of nervous about taking the giant leap uh, to transition into a completely new technology. But that also shows your leadership skills, John, how you can empower people within a few quick minutes. Uh, you, it seems that you have this leadership skills training since you were young. You know, you went through some trainings through Air Force, and then you were in, able to integrate all of that uh, that you have uh, went through into your career as an engineer. Uh, so, tell us about um, how how you're able to apply these skills in um, empowering your team members.
2: Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, that can that can be a whole uh, thing in itself. I think for me, the the way that I approach it and what empowerment means to me is. Um, uh, you know, it's closely tied to ownership. And so for me, it's, you know, how do I make it the goal for me when I'm trying to think about how to empower my team members is how can I make it so that you don't need me to like know what you should be doing and to know how to have the best value and impact. So a lot of that comes into setting the right context, um, making sure that my team is, you know, knows what the priorities are, knows what's important knows what we care about, knows the right approach to things, uh, and, you know, feels like they can make the decisions. That means that, that also means that I'm not trying to be too directive with work. You know, it's a difference of, um, you know, giving someone a problem versus giving them a solution, you know. Um, you know, things like that where it's, you know, I'm just saying like, hey, here's kind of the goal that we're trying to get to, or here's the problem that we need to solve, like, go figure it out. Um, Come to me with a solution. You should know the things that we care about as a team, that we're trying to work towards as a team. And so your solution, you know, should incorporate that stuff. Um, And really just trying to get people to feel that ownership over the work that they're doing, the product that we're working on, um, and really having them feel connected to the, you know, to what it is that what we're doing. So that's kind of, you know, the, the way that I kind of approach it for me really is that, uh, you know, how can I make it so that you don't really need me to know what you should be doing at any given time? You know, and there might be situations that come up where it's like, okay, we had a, you know, some change. There's some new thing that came down that we have to worry about. And now, you know, that's where I might have to get involved. But generally I want to get to the, uh, you know, I want my team, you know, I want the people on my team to be at a point where it's like, okay, they're kind of self-operating and self-maintaining.
1: yeah. Uh. Yeah, so it sounds like you basically set the context for the requirement, set the expectations uh, on where the team needs to go towards, and then just uh, empower your team members to do whatever they need to do in order to meet those uh, requirements. It's it's the clarity and giving them some clarity and guidelines, and then you let them on their own. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, and if you uh, if you can share an example on how um, on how this uh, empowerment of team members has helped your team or company that you work for.
2: Um, when I first started Blue Apron, um, the the team that I was managing was the growth team, and they were responsible for uh, kind of everything related to getting people to sign up for Blue Apron from a technology perspective. So. You know things like the homepage, the sign up flow, the referral program, um, you know all of that sort of thing. And there were a few different challenges that we had. One was that the team was newly formed. Uh, so there were you know a handful of people on the team that were new to the company. Um, there were some people that were on the team that um, you know had been a boyfriend for a bit or a while but hadn't really worked together. And uh, they had also the company has also just made the transition from being a skill set focused teams to being this kind of product area focused team. So before there was like a back end team and a front end team. uh, And now they were kind of cutting that more um, to line up with product areas. And so the result of that was that the team didn't really have a lot of understanding of the parts of the code base that they were working in. You know, they maybe had touched it at some point in time before. or They had done a project here and there, but they didn't really kind of have that um, depth of knowledge around it. Um, And then on top of that, um, the marketing team that we were working with, who was our biggest stakeholder, um, you know, they were kind of tracking things on a weekly basis. And so they had, you know, weekly targets of how many new people they wanted to get to sign up for Blue Apron. And, um, you know, they'd have different ideas about things that they wanted to do, you know, kind of every week. Um, and so there are a couple couple challenges that came into play with that. One was that as, a, as an engineering team, as a technology team, we needed to be a little bit more responsive um, and, you know, kind of in that agile sense, like, you know, they would, the marketing team would be like, oh, hey, we have this, uh, you know, we just signed this new partnership with somebody. They want to launch it in like two weeks. Um, you know, what what are some things we can do to kind of help promote that on the website or, you know, different things that are going to require the tech team to work on. Um, So like, you know, those sorts of things would would come up pretty frequently. And at the same time I was trying to have the team build some ownership on that. So the, the kind of like two, um, you know, principles I set with the team was, um, or kind of the way that I approached that with the team was, um, you know, first off was setting that context. And so we had uh, regular meetings with the, marketing team, like all the engineering team and the marketing team, kind of everyone that was involved in the area to talk about the numbers, to talk about the metrics, to talk about what we were doing. And, you know, those meetings really helped the engineering team feel more empowered about, okay, I know from the business perspective where we're trying to go, I know the like problem that we're trying to solve. Um, You know, I have, you know, each engineer was approaching that with the context that they knew, you know, if I came to them with a project, it wasn't something that was just kind of out of the blue. they probably heard it get talked about before. So that was really helpful in terms of just setting that context so that everyone was kind of on the same page about where we were trying to go as a business and what we were trying to do as a cross-functional team. Um, The second part of that was within the team and kind of trying to help build some of that ownership, like, you know, had different parts of the team take over the different areas that we were responsible for. So I had a couple of the engineers who owned registration were the um, you know, kind of main people that worked on anything related to the registration part of our code base. I had another uh, you know, kind of sub-team that worked on our referral program and everything related to that. And so that helped them you know, develop a little bit longer um, viewpoint than just the specific projects that they were working on Um, you know, so that they could kind of think about, okay, you know, here are all the issues that we have from the code perspective, from the technology perspective. Here's where we want to go in six months or a year. Um, Now when I'm working on these different projects, I know I can, you know, how to work on them in such a way that I'm kind of moving us forward and moving the team forward. And so that made it really easy where, you know, for me, my role was really more about, working with the marketing team at a higher level, at a strategy level, and trying to make sure that, um, you know, they understood what different capabilities we had and what was easy and what was not. Um, And it left the team able to just kind of operate on a day-to-day basis. And if they ran into an issue or if the marketing team ran into some issue with, uh, you know, some campaign, they felt really comfortable talking to the engineering team and the engineering team knew what the priorities were because we would kind of go through every week and talk about that. Um, you know, where they could be like, okay, yeah, this is worth me, you know, stepping off of the, the current work I'm doing to go handle this right now. Or, um, you know, maybe it's okay for it to wait for a day or two before I pick it up. Um, so I think that was, that was an example. I think that was a time where we had a really good um, operating rhythm between our cross-functional partners Um, and within the engineering team where, you know, everyone was really bought into the mission, bought into what we were trying to do as a cross-functional team. Um, We were sharing those numbers and sharing those insights um, and really getting a good understanding of what the work we were doing was and what the impact it was having on our users. Um, And I think that, you know, for me, at the end of the day, that's the most important thing is, like, really tying people's work to the impact that it's having in the world. Like, it's not – you know, if you're working at a company, you're not building technologies just to, like, make tech, right? You're trying to solve a problem. You're trying to help someone out. Like, there is another human being on the other side that's using your product, that's using your technology to, to do something. And so how can you make that connection really close and really tight and have engineers understand that impact? Um, and that really helps clarify everything.
1: Wow. That's a great story, John you started with something kind of like, you know, the company is kind of getting reorganized and there's a lot of shuffling around. And then uh, you took that opportunity um, to to set up meetings with marketing team really and sales team to really understand, uh, to really understand their priorities. And uh, so engineers feel that they are being included and the business, um, uh, you know, decisions that are being made, so that they know the impact of the, their work, and how you're able to, you created a kind of structure where engineers can relate their work to a bigger mission, which is actually impacting customers. There is a real human being right there, really connecting with with the company's purpose. It's amazing. And um, so what, you know, have you faced any challenges with this, with, with um, putting this in place, maybe uh, resistance from the higher ups or from the team members?
2: Yeah. um yeah. I mean, the things I, you know, I think I've been pretty lucky so far in that generally I, Blue Apron in particular was a, was a fairly unique place in my experience that everyone who worked there was really, really committed to the product and to the mission. Like they worked at Blue Apron because they cared about the role that food plays in people's lives. They really liked the product. Um, you know, they weren't there. No one, no one on my team, and no one that I knew directly was there because it was only because it was like a fast-growing startup, and they just wanted to like collect a paycheck. They cared about food, they cared about the product, um, and so that buy-in around that really helped make everything a lot easier. Um, at eBay and at Google, you know, there's people who work at those companies because they are good companies because they have cool technology. And so you're not necessarily always going to get that buy-in at an individual level around the product and the work that you're doing. And I think that's okay. Like, you know, the reasons that people are software engineers and the reason they work at a certain company, there's a whole host of reasons. Um, And, you know, that's, that's the job of being a manager is to help tie, you know, align people around what they're interested in and what they care about with whatever it is that the team's doing. So even if I have someone who's not necessarily, um, you know, super product oriented or product focused, you know, maybe they're like, I do just like building cool tech. Like I want to build, I want to solve interesting technical problems. I don't necessarily care whether it's, you know, for um, Blue Apron or if it's for Google or whatever. Like I just want to solve an interesting tech problem. Um, You know, then it's just kind of a difference of, Um, how I talk to that person and how I engage with them. I think a lot of this other product focus is, you know, for people like that who are really interested in technology, that product focus isn't necessarily going to detract from, like, I don't think it's at odds. Um, I think it's something that can help um, or, you know, worst case it's, you know, ambivalent to those people. Um, But that's also part of, I think, when I'm trying to build a team, especially if I'm, you know, I like working on consumer focused products. And so for me, there's always a user, there's always someone who's like using the product that I'm working on. You know, I think still being able to like tie back that impact of the difference, you know, even if you're working on something that's really, you know, technology focused, that's going to have an impact on the users. And so being able to tie that back does, I think, help people feel, um, you know, a little more acknowledgement of like, oh, here's the difference I made you know, I got to solve this problem and, you know, I had, you know, uh, made this difference in the in our users' lives or in the areas that they're working on. Um, you know, from a leadership perspective, uh, you know, like higher up perspective, I don't think anyone, I mean, the whole point of management is to like get your team to be more productive and to like increase the bottom line, whatever that looks like. And so this whole, you know, I think the whole approach around getting the team bought in on, you know, being product focused and, you know, really, really um, working for the user is something that you know any management team is really going to be supportive of. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, so I haven't run into too many issues as far as like trying to sell it to leadership. Um, you know, I think there are different parts of that make it easier or harder on whether. Um, you know, like something that I'm kind of working on working with um, at Google right now is that um, there isn't a lot of infrastructure um, from a like team management perspective and from a technical perspective on making that feedback cycle with the user really tight. Um, and so that's an area where it's like I think the team, is interested in that and wants to do that. But there's a lot more work that I have to do on the management side in order to set all of that stuff in place in order to like, you know, increase the amount of communication and collaboration with the product team, with the user, uh, with our user research team, with our design team, you know, whereas at Blue Apron, a lot of that stuff just happened all of the time. And part of that was because it was a smaller company. Part of that was because people were, you know, from day one, a lot more engaged in the product and wanted in all of that stuff. Um, So there was, you know, just the way that company culture was a believer was a lot more supportive of that. Whereas at Google um, you know, it's not that it's not supportive of that. It's just that there isn't a lot, you know, I'm starting from an earlier point where there just isn't a lot of that infrastructure in place. And so that's kind of a lot of the um, groundwork that I'm going to be, you know, work that I'm going to be doing over the next few months is trying to lay that groundwork with my team and try and build that, you know, kind of, product focus, customer focus um, within the engineering team and really trying to make that feedback
1: loop really tight. I really love that, love love what you shared, John, especially how you have wide perspective on how to build engineering teams. Uh, You're not just saying everyone needs to have customer focus because there might be engineers who are there just to – play around with some cool technologies and that's okay. Just because I'm customer focused, you have to be customer focused. You're not not enforcing what you believe is right on your team. Instead, you're meeting your team on where they are. You're trying to find out what motivates each individual person and you're open to it. And uh, accordingly, you will connect them with your team's purpose. And, and that's a great yeah. lesson for any engineering leader uh, to learn. Um, so uh, that's awesome. And um, it, and another thing I got from your conversation is uh, your sharing is that, you know, at, at companies like Blue Front, it's easy to get uh, people or engineers who are more customer focused. But if it's a company like Google or eBay, maybe people like to join uh, Google or eBay because uh, it, it's a great company, and it's a it's, it's a status uh, to join you know a company like a Google or eBay or Facebook or things like or, or companies like that. In in those cases, in those cases, you um, you approach the team members in a slightly different manner to get their engagement.
2: Yeah, I mean, it and it's also it's one of those things too when you're joining a company, especially as a leader you don't have a choice in who your team is going to be on the first day. Right. Like there is a team, there's maybe a team that exists or there's already people that work at the company. And like, that's, that's who you're going to be working with. And so, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, unless you're in the case where you're hiring and you're building out a new team, like that's the only time where you can really, you know, try and focus on specific values that you care about. Um, You know, so if you do, you know, so for me, like if I am hiring, I am going to bias more towards people who are product focused for, you know, the current Mm -hmm. team, the current team that I'm on like that, that is going to be a bias and a value that I care about as I'm looking for new people. But that doesn't, I can't apply that same criteria to the people that are already on the team. And so it is that kind of like, you know, you got to work with the team that you're, that you have and figure out how to motivate those people into an individual level, you know, while still moving the needle a little bit on the values that you care about for a team and trying to, um, you know, help create
1: that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it also, that shows your flexibility too. You're just not saying this is the only right way of doing things, but whatever role I'm in, I'm gonna play it based on, um, uh, based on how things work. Um, so uh, being flexible to adapt to different environments is also, also seems to be one of the keys to your success as a leader. Um, in this industry.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I think it's, it's not something that gets talked a lot, talked about a lot, but what makes you successful in one company is not necessarily going to make you successful in another company because so much of your leadership is the context that you are leading in. And that makes such a big difference on how you work, how you operate. Um, you know, you might be someone who really thrives in high pressure situations and high deadline situations. And if you go to a company that doesn't have that, or that doesn't have a strong culture of accountability around that stuff, it's going to be really hard for you to adapt. And, you know, I think that's, that's something that you always have to consider when you're looking at, you know, advice, um, you know, or hearing, seeing advice from other people about, you know, what works for them is, you know, trying to think about what's the context that they're not sharing that is enabling that or making that successful. Um, You know, one thing that made, you know, I'm I'm talking about, you know, a lot of the, a lot of my time at Blue Apron and one thing that made that really successful for me was that I had a really strong values alignment with my leadership, with the VP of engineering, with the CTO and, that gave me the space to operate where, you know, they trusted me to do the right thing. And they knew that when I, whatever I thought was gonna be the right thing was gonna line up to be something that they wanted. And so that, that trust and that alignment made it really easy for me to operate in that. Um, and because we're in a company where like everyone at the company cares so much about the product, Um, you know, that just helped reinforce a lot of the stuff that I was trying to do with the team. Um, One of the reasons that I left eBay was that I didn't have that alignment with my leadership about how I wanted to run my team. I kind of kept, um, you know, kept coming, you know, kept kind of butting heads with my, um, you know, my director or, or, um, you know, the people above them on, um, you know, trying to do something that I thought was right. And they and then disagreeing with that. And so that was an area where it's like, okay, I knew that um, I was either going to keep, keep being really frustrated if I kept trying to do this. um, And my career growth probably wasn't going to go that far because it's just the way that I was trying to approach how to run an engineering team was different than the organization that I was in. And so that's always something that, um, you know, that flexibility you talk about is always something that's super important. And, you know, particularly when you're moving companies. And that's something that I, you know, is been is top of my mind for me coming to Google because Google is so different than anywhere I've worked before. Um, and the team, uh, you know, the organization that I'm in, um, you know, is just work operates in a very different way. And so that's something where, you know, I'm trying to take a step back and guess, you know, make sure that um, the way that I like to run teams is going to work in that culture because, you know, it is kind of like, you know, you think about the, you know, like an organ transplant, right? Like the biggest problem with organ transplants is you're bringing a new body, like a new thing into someone else's body and whether that the host is going to accept or reject that new thing. And that's very much the same when you're trying to bring part of a different culture, or bring something else into an existing company is that if that the rest of the culture isn't there to support it, it's not going to be successful. And so that's something you have to look at when you're like, okay, I know I like to run teams this way. Take a step back and think about that a little bit and make sure that you're the way that that, you know, what are going to be some of the downsides of that in this company versus the last company What at your last company made that successful for you versus, you know, where you're at now.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great lesson. Uh, you know, being able to, what, what works at one company might not work at a different company because, because of the uh, culture of the company. And uh, it seems like you have this great uh, intuitive capabilities to be able to figure out, hey, you know, this culture doesn't work for me. But many uh, engineers or leaders, uh, they try to push themselves too hard. So uh, John, if you can you know shed a little more light on what what um, suggestions you have for people who are struggling, they know they want to make the transition yeah
2: um, yeah so with the, yeah with that transition, I think what um, the 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 kind of um, Focusing point for that was that my team was starting a new project at eBay, and uh, we about the time that I had made the decision to leave the company, I think we were like three months into that, and we were starting to transition from kind of like a very high-level um, like R and D phase into like a prototyping phase, and I had had a lot of conversations with my boss and uh, his boss on kind of what we were trying to do and where we were trying to go. And um, through those conversations, a lot of it was most of it was me trying to convince them to not go the fast way that incurred a significant amount of tech debt and to go a way that was would take more time, but would help kind of set up a platform for the future and kind of give us a really good place to work from going forward. And, you know, the, the difference in timeline wasn't super significant. It was also kind of complicated by um, just some, like, other intercompany politics. And... um you know, I think I just realized that, like, I am going to, like, if the lead, if I can't convince my leadership of what I think is the right thing to do, and I, on, you know, over, like, a three-month period, four-month period, then there's, there's something that just doesn't fit here, and, um, you know, I also just, like, wasn't super excited uh, to keep, working on that project. Like I, I had, um, it was a very similar project to something we had done the year before. I wanted more responsibility. I was like, okay, cool. I I can do this project, but I want to do more. And I wasn't getting any uh, hints or suggestions from my leadership that they were going to give me more responsibility. And so, you know, I think for me, it was like, okay, I want, I want to take the next step in my career. I want to like, you know, start managing other managers potentially, you know, or work towards that. Um, and that's when I started looking for something new. And so I talked to a bunch of different companies. Um, I was, you know, mostly looking at startups. I wasn't really looking at any, any big companies. Um, you know, I think I probably talked to 15 different, you know, startups. I talked to some founders, you know, had some, just. you know, some of those like kind of informational, coffee chat type things that you do before you kind of start an interview process and then interviewed with with a handful more companies. And when I spoke with um, blue apron um, you know, they really stood out. Um, You know, I did, I did well on the phone screen and the person I was talking to on the phone screen was great. The recruiter I was talking to was really nice. Um, I was excited at the the their pace of growth. So they were growing a lot and you know you come in and in leadership in the company that's growing quickly, you know, your career is going to grow with the companies. And so that was something that was attractive to me. Um, and then when I finally came in from my on-site and talked to the VP of engineering who had just started the company a few months prior, when I talked to the CTO who is one of the founders, and I talked to a couple of the other engineering managers, it became really clear that the way that they wanted to run teams and the things that they cared about were the same things that I cared about. And that was the first time that I had talked to anyone um, where I was like, Oh, we are on the same page about this. Like that values alignment made such a big difference. And so that was the, by far the biggest selling point for me um, was I'm going to be, I'm going to a place that is my career is going to be able to grow with it, but I'm going to be operating in a space where um, I don't have to keep disagreeing or keep fighting for to do what I think is right for my team. Like that'll just be supported. Um, and so that was, that was a big thing. Um, you know, that was, that was by far the biggest transition, but that was also kind of realizing, you know, it took a lot of conversations with, um, different people at eBay on, um, trying to like make sure that I was looking at, the you know my situation um through the right lens and i had like talked to um a couple people who were outside of my org and kind of like had who knew some of the people involved and were was explaining just to like have a gut check that like am i thinking about this the right way like am i am i off base and thinking that my career is isn't going to go you know any further um yeah, and so that, that was, you know, that took a little bit of, you know, that took some of those conversations and it took a lot of time to kind of really come to the conclusion that, like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to grow in the way that I want to here, and I should start looking for something new. Um, you know, the transition from Blayfront is a little bit different. Um, the company's Blayfront has gone through a lot of changes in the last year in particular. Um, there was around the layoffs last fall. Um, and I had to let go like a third of my team. And um, after the layoffs, a bunch of other people quit. And so it kind of got to the point earlier this year where most of the people that I really liked working with had left the company. Um, I was not very certain on the company's future. Um, I had made the decision in kind of like February, march time timeframe. They brought in a new CEO in April and – You know, by that point, I had been working a ton, Um, you know, had had a lot of changes on my team, and I wasn't confident that I had the energy to, you know, kind of keep going. Like, I I could kind of see all of the work that my team needed to do, that we were going to need to do for the coming year and two years, and I, you know, just didn't really have the energy to do it. And also with that, it was kind of – because we were kind of in a little bit of a transition, I thought it was going to be – it was a good time to leave so they could bring in someone new who's fresh, who's excited, and would, you know, be in it for the long haul um, rather than me, you know, getting something kind of off the ground a little bit and then, you know, quitting a few months into it. So that was kind of part of what led that transition. Um, and looking at Google, um, the, the VP of engineering at Blue Apron had actually – Left to Google uh, last year, and is in a is in the same org that I am, and so I kind of talked to him. Um, I had been talking to a recruiter from Google, just kind of like you know very informally for a few months, and told them you know and I was like, hey, if there's anything that's really consumer oriented that comes up, you know, let me know. And the opportunity to leave the Keep team came up, and you know, especially at somewhere like Google, where the opportunity to lead a product, an entire product uh, that is customer facing, that is fairly well known is not very frequent and it's purely a matter of timing. And so the timing just worked out in that sense where the opportunity to lead the team came up, the team had just, they had just moved it to New York um, from California. So they're kind of like rebuilding the team a little bit. And so that timing just worked out really well. And, uh, because I knew someone who was in the org, um, you know, I kind of got some sense on where they were trying to go from a leadership perspective and, you know, verified that through some of my interviews. And it was another situation where, you know, I knew, um, that I was going to be going into a company and going into an organization that was going to be fairly supportive of the way that I wanted to run my team. Um, and so, you know, that was, it was kind of a similar thing where, you know, the things I was looking for were like, okay, am I on the same page about how to manage teams as my leadership is going to be? If that's there, if the product's interesting, then that's a, those are pretty, you know, that's a pretty good baseline to work from.
1: Wow, uh, thank you, John, for sharing that. And there's so many great lessons hidden in your story that you just shared. A uh, couple of them, um, I'm going to share them with you. What I have gotten from your sharing is that you are, you have full clarity on what you exactly want. Uh, you would like to have values alignment with your leadership. Uh, you're making sure that you're working. Um, you your uh, company is mission oriented. It's uh, product focused and customer focused. Those are some of the key factors. And, um, at eBay, when you saw that there is some uh, misalignment, misalignment in values, um, then and you also notice that you're trying too hard to convince people uh, to do things uh, um, that you believe is right. And when you sense that, you know, and you also use the word gut feeling, And checking with with your mentors or other people at eBay um, and just made that decision. But, you know, and that's key because many people struggle and try too hard, and it's like a couple of years and they're already um, motivated, demotivated, and um, try to just stick to their jobs. But you made that transition happen. Yeah so john um if you can share what um what are what are some of the qualities to be a successful engineer a successful software engineer technically
2: right. yeah um i think the I mean, it's, it's interesting because, I, I, you know, I, I've been having career conversations with my team um, just because, like, you know, performance reviews came out uh, like a month ago, and so we're kind of doing goal-setting conversations. And there's a transition, you know, about three to five years or so into your career where your the important things for you as a software engineer become less about your specific ability to in a given technology and more about kind of your other skills. So what I mean by that is your, your first few years are really about getting fluency with a particular technology or particular stack. Um, You know, obviously, if you're working for or even, you know, a domain, so that's like, okay, how, you know, how much do you know about, you know, Ruby? How much you know about Ruby on Rails? Um, You know, are you able to kind of, um, you know, do you know some of the ins and outs of the language, do you know, some of the best practices and patterns like that sort of thing. Like that's the really important stuff for your first few years where you really want to build that fluency and get to a point where, um, you know, you have a good grasp and command of a specific technology or, or domain or something like that. After that, it starts to switch to, um, you know, you need to start expanding your area of knowledge and expertise. And that becomes more about, okay, how easy is it for you to pick up new things, to learn new things, and to apply things you've learned from one area to another? So then it becomes, it's not just about how good are you with Ruby, maybe it's, um, you know, expanding your knowledge into, you know, front-end web development, and, you know, at least having some basic understanding there. Uh, You need to start knowing about uh, HTTP servers, like how does Ruby on Rails actually work under the hood? Like, how does it connect to a database? What are the underlying things there, you know, and you're expanding from that area where it's like, okay, I knew about a back end web server too. I know a little bit about David databases. I know a little bit about the front end thing. I know a little bit about just how the internet and networking works. Um, you know, and that's, you know, you're increasing that, that breadth a little bit, but you know, the skill that's going to get you there is how easy is it for you to learn new things? Right, so it kind of you know the further you go in your career, um, you know the less. It's always going to be important to have that strong technical base, but the thing that's going to set you apart is not um, just that. It's going to be those other skills where it's like, okay, you really should focus, you know, th- in you know midpoint in your career, you really should focus on, okay, how are you learning about the other aspects of software development that are really important, which are all going to be um, you know, collaboration skills, understanding different methodologies under like software development methodologies, understanding other best practices, um, you know, learning uh, different areas and being able to bring that into your day-to-day work. Um, and that's so it's kind of an interesting thing where, you know, I think that like that technical fluency always matters, but the thing that helps you get there after, you know, three to five years into career is, other skills in your life that are going to help you apply. Like you could keep working in Ruby and Rails forever, but if you're not able to learn new things or bring into other concepts, um, you know, your your breadth and domain is, isn't going to expand as much. And that's what's going to make you more valuable as an engineer.
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's a great point. Um, I mean, technical skills can take you so far, but what you're saying is in order to, Um, uh, in order to have a longevity in this career, you got to bring in other skills like collaboration skills, understanding best practices. And also when you're sharing about um, everything you have experienced, um, you know, working with different teams and cultures, you also shared about having the gut feeling because um, it sounds like there is no one formula that you can follow. And hey, here is a blueprint and you follow this and you can be successful. So you spoke about gut feeling and, you know, and also, uh, you know, you just did not feel excited a couple of years uh, into the company, um, like at at Blue blue Apron. How important on a scale of one to 10 is a gut feeling to be a successful engineer, according to you?
2: maybe like an eight or a nine. I mean, I think it's pretty important. Um, it's definitely more important the further in your career you are. And that's going to like, you know, I mean, if you look at, you know, the differences between the most successful engineers, I think like a lot of that is going to be that, you know, they are those kind of people who their instincts are right. Almost all the time. Like the first thing that they mm. come up with is like almost always the right, the right solution. And, that is something that just takes a lot of time and experience to develop. And so it is that, you know, so early on in your career, you know, you're still figuring that stuff out. You're still learning a lot of new things. So that I think the challenge then becomes, how do you, how do you keep honing that over time, over your career? And for me, at least the way that I approach that is really, it is a lot about learning new things, learning different areas, trying to have a more holistic view, as opposed to just zeroing in on something really specific. I think learning new skills and always trying to improve yourself is a huge part of that, um, and so that's kind of I think that's how I've been approaching it in my career.
1: Absolutely, and th- that's that's a great point. Uh, uh, before we wrap this podcast, uh, is that you know in the very beginning when someone is starting out uh, as an engineer, uh, they're there are kind of blueprints that they can follow. Hey, learn this technology, you can get this job, and that most likely works. But as you progress in your career, in order to be a really uh, successful engineer, um, uh, getting high paid, uh, getting high pay, and um, high performing engineers, gut is, is, uh, feeling seems to be a very important factor. Um, and and there are some engineers that you see and they solve problems really quickly and they can't explain how they exactly solved it, but it's just they just say they're like, oh, I felt like this is the issue and they um, were able to double down on the issue and solve it. And it's really following their instincts. Um, and what you're saying is, um, you know. Uh, just try to get as much diverse experience as you can and bring everything together. That's one way um, you can hone that skill. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much. And I'm sure you know, this interview is going to help many engineers and also engineers who are potentially considering moving to a leadership role. Uh, This is a great interview and thank you so much for, again, uh, taking your time
0: to do this this interview, John.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's been a great
0: conversation. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Hopefully, you learned some important nuggets to uncover the rock star from inside of you. If you have any questions, you can reach me on my email at aditya at who we are. io. It's A D I T Y A at who we are.